Good afternoon and welcome to DKI Digital Era Entertainment's anime podcast. I'm your host, Joel, and I actually uh, forgot that I'm doing the intros now, even though we're still joined today by co-host Mario Bueno. Hello! <laughs> yeah, uh, and also, uh, I- I'm going to I'm gonna leave this one to our uh, third host for the week, the wonderful Tamsin, because uh, I-, I-, I think... I think Tamsin kind of nailed this one <laughs> while we were getting ready to go live. So, uh, hey, Tamsin, <laughs> how's it going? Doing really well, rolling in fashionably late. Hey, said the thing. <laughs> yes, because our theme this week is anime fashion. So everything to do with, you know, style, uh, different outfits, aesthetics. I think we're not going to include hair because I feel like anime hair could be an entire episode unto itself. And I want to save that for its own thing. But uh, yeah, <laughs> we're going to be talking anime fashion because let's let's be very upfront about this. Anime fashion is cooler than real fashion. Hands down. There's no argument about that. Like, it's not even close. They they look so much better than we do IRL. But before we get to that, let's do some weekly recaps. But I suppose we should start with one of the big things that happened just a couple hours after we finished last week's episode. And that is the news coming down that Emmy is playing Kate, one of the two leads in Shadow's House. And... I will have our dear listeners go back, you know, nine weeks ago. I am on the record. I have been hyping this show up since the beginning of the season, since way before any auditions for this show would have begun. I have been saying Shadow's House is one of the best shows of the season, that it's got this amazing aesthetic. Heck, we can talk about its fashion later on, that the story has been engaging, that the parts have just been really good, the dialogue is snappy. So to hear that Emmy is Kate. Uh, that is the shadow girl. That is the main one. So if you've seen any of the key art, she's the one in the red dress. And uh, we obviously just could not be happier for her. This is another huge victory for Emmy, another lead, another great part. So if you have not actually gotten on Shadow's house yet, now you really have no excuse. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, look at look at last year with uh, Apare Ranman. You know, that was that was a big one. Uh, that I know uh, you, Joel, were certainly advocating for. And then look at this, <laughs> you know, uh, Emmy lands Hototo, one of the main protagonists of the the series. So this is a, you know, this is a good back to back as far as I'm mm-hmm. concerned <laughs> in terms of your your track record of picking a, a show to to highlight for the year and then Emmy somehow getting involved with it. So it's uh, I love it. I love it when a plan comes together, even if it's not actually part of the plan. Yeah, no, I wish I could say this was part of the Kikaku. <laughs> that would be nice. Adjust glasses. I'm sorry, Megan A. Push. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I was able to watch most of my shows this week get caught up. Um, I haven't seen a couple of the things that have aired in the past, like, three days, but I am largely caught up. And it's the type of thing that I was realizing, gosh, we're three-quarters of the way through the season. I'm still watching pretty much everything that I started and there's two or three shows that I've realized along the way that I want to see that I haven't uh that being to your eternity um I'm a couple behind on Vivi which is still building up to be one of the big ones of the season and 
according to my anime list, it's actually the most watched anime this season. I hadn't realized that until about a week ago that it is very, very popular. Um, But as a whole, this has been a super strong season. The fact that I don't think the the only one that I've dropped is Mars Red. And I think I still want to go and watch that one because it wasn't bad. It was just a little bit slow. And when you're watching like a dozen other series anyways, it's easy to drop one. So, yeah, nothing super new to report in terms of what's going on for the shows I've been watching in something, you know, suddenly getting elevated or dropping the ball. But the fact that it's still just going real strong across the board is a real testament to how things are going for the season as a whole. Nice. Shockingly, we are not out of anime ideas quite yet. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow, against Somehow. all odds. <laughs> yeah, I, I read a stat somewhere that apparently half of all anime that has been produced has been produced since 2010, and I could believe that. Just because of the number of studios increasing in the amount of people in the industry that the boom of anime has translated to the industry itself. So there's more people making it. Uh, can't entirely speak to the working conditions, but I I feel like, for better or worse, they aren't worse than they were before 2010. It's just that there's now more people in those working conditions. So, eh, but at the same time, yay, then more people are able to make what they love. I just hope that, you know, eventually industry standards improve. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if we exclude all the Naruto and Bleach filler episodes, is that statistic still true? That's a good question. I'm not sure if this metric was by series or by episodes or what. Not sure. But that's... I, I would believe that also. There's... Yeah, there's been a lot of uh, a lot of stuff coming out lately. So yeah, and just if you go to something like um, whether it be my anime list or any chart, and look at the number of releases per season, that you can definitely see the increase over time. That I remember, I was flipping back, you know, a couple months ago for one reason or another, and looking at all right, how many shows were released in spring of two thousand and seven. Uh, it's about half the number of new shows that you see per season now. And just if you're doubling per season, that quickly catches up with the backlog of, you know, 90s and early 2000s. So production mm-hmm. keeps on going. Yeah, because, uh, again, like even looking back um, at, at older seasons, like, for example, you know, uh, the legendary seasons of I think it was 1995 and 1996, there was still a good volume of anime being released at the time. But then you look at, for example, the fact that we had to do a two-parter just for the beginning of the current season because there was just this glut of anime. And that's just for regular series. That's not counting shorts. That's not counting films. Yeah, so it makes a lot of sense that, uh, you know, with the dawn of streaming services, globalizing uh, anime further, you know, that, that we would see uh, this this uptick because there's a demand for it. And now that you have so many more uh, big players in that space commissioning these shows, yeah, you better believe that there's going to be, by volume, way more than there's ever been because it started out as, you know, a fairly niche market for this effectively one particular territory. It just happened to globalize naturally over time. Yeah. 
So what about you, Mario? You've been able to watch anything this week? I actually managed to catch up on something. I'm yeah. so happy. <laughs> um, and that's that something was the final season of, speaking of uh, streaming platforms that have commissioned anime, uh, Netflix's Castlevania. I'm going to give that a big old mwah, chef's kiss because um, the way that they handled uh, their interpretation of the Castlevania lore as a whole, specifically the period that takes place around Castlevania 3, which for all intents and purposes is what they were sourcing for the bulk of the, the, the anime's story, as well as ancillary works from the PlayStation 2 era. You know, you have Hector and Isaac who, you know, showed up in, in game lore around the PS2 era. <laughs> and they integrated them so smoothly because a lot of um, the characters from Castlevania 3 do stretch into uh, those particular era of games. And of course, you know, Alucard is perpetually involved because yay, the joys of being half undead. Um, <laughs> but the the final season, it was a, a nice way to kind of put a bow on everything. Uh, I was interested in how they chose to end the story. I won't get into it for spoiler reasons, but a very interesting choice. I it, they they made it clear that they want this to be the end of this interpretation of the story, but it, there's a part of me that still kind of wants them to revisit uh, the later uh, Castlevania entries, you know, so I could see Simon Belmont as an anime, uh, my boy Richter Belmont uh, from Rondo of Blood and the beginning of Symphony of the Night. I mean, Richter's Hex. in Super Smash Brothers, so he's relevant. Exactly. Um, so it's. I would love to see, you know, the, the subsequent uh, storylines get their their time to shine. But with all the changes that they made in the actual anime proper and with how they resolved it, it seems very unlikely. But it's just one of those things I'm like, it'd be cool to see it. But if this is what we get, hey, that was that was three and a half seasons <laughs> of excellence. And I say half because let's be real. That first season was basically just an extended pilot. <laughs> it was four episodes. So I have Come not on. seen any of the Castlevania anime nor have I played any Castlevania games. I've heard very good things about the anime. Yes. Will I still enjoy the anime if I have not played the games? Oh, absolutely. Um, that's part of why it, it kind of hit the way that it did, because you had a lot of non-gaming fans just flocking to it because, you know, it's, it's a good action horror story. Uh, and Warren Ellis is the writer of it. And if you've ever read any works uh, that Warren Ellis has worked on, whether it be, you know, graphic novels or, you know, other uh, animated features where he did the scripting on, oh, it is it is some good dialogue. All right. So, so maybe that's what I'll watch, you know, in a month or so when there's that one to two weeks between seasons, that sort of cool down time while new things haven't quite started back up yet that usually I go and sweep up whatever remnants I have for the previous season, but uh, might be able to squeeze in a season or two of uh, Castlevania on that and maybe watch that as I'm still sussing out what do I want to actually watch in the summer season. Yeah, and again, uh, the first season is basically four episodes. I think the second season picks up the slack with, I think, another six to make it a total of ten. And the following seasons are 10 apiece, and the pacing is just oh, lightning quick. And They're, are these 30 or 45, 60-minute episodes? What are we dealing with? That was going to be my next uh, point uh, of, of uh, recommendation. Uh, they are 30-minute episodes. They tend to end around, like, the 20-minute mark, give or take the season finales. So that's part of how I was able to oh, basically get a through huge a season in a night. No, not at all. Like, we got done in, like, th like, three hours or less. It was just, like, 
boom, <laughs> and mm, it's done. Cool. Heck, maybe yeah. I'll even start it this weekend. Oh yeah. Again, it's four seasons for the first. Uh, there are four episodes for the first season, so it's a very, very breezy watch. Like by the time you get to that last episode, you're like, wait, that was that was it. <laughs> that was that mm. was the whole season. You had to wait a year to get more of this. Oh, my God. <laughs> but yeah. What about you, Tamsin? Been watching anything this week? Yeah. So speaking of remnants. Of- hey. Hey. <laughs> Just so, so good. Uh, and tons. Um, I finished. I'm all caught up on Ruby now. I mentioned. I told you so. I, I I don't know what your opinion is, but I'm gonna preemptively say I told you so. Uh, yeah, you know, if I could screech into the microphone like a dinosaur without blowing everybody's ears, I would be doing that right now. So imagine that that is currently how I am emoting about this series because it was yeah. fantastic. Yeah, like I said, seasons four, five, you have a little bit of a lull, but then it escalates again and just seven and eight. Ooh, ooh, oh, baby. Oh, boy. You know, I also really did enjoy four and five, even though they were a little slower paced. Um, yeah, but I really like the character development that we that's, got. That's the, that's the pair of seasons that I need to tell people, all right, that's where you have a little bit of a lull. Not bad, but some... After seeing season three, some people drop off in four and five and like, okay, recognize this is the start of a new arc. They have to have a reset of the stakes and the drama. Don't worry. It escalates again. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I won't comment on the specifics of the plot because a lot of spoilery things. But one of the things that I really love about the show um, I'm a, a huge fan of like folklore and fairy tales. Oh, and the, the fact, movie was made for you. The fact that characters and even places and items are all references and allegories to different mm-hmm. varied like fairy tales and folklore. And, you know, right off the bat, not a spoiler, you know, Ruby is like Little Red Riding Hood, uh, Weiss is Snow White. Mm-hmm. Uh, Yang is Goldilocks. Blake is, uh, you know, from Beauty and the Beast. Just everything is, as to quote Mario, chef's kiss. Just yeah. amazing. And I enjoyed it immensely. And, you know, now that I'm in this whole, like, you know, kind of fairy tale mood, uh, I think the next anime that I'm going to tackle, which I'd started previously but had never finished watching, is going to be Princess Tutu because I love Ooh. fairy tales and I love crying. So that's. So I be- haven't seen all of Princess Tutu, but I know Princess Tutu. Oh, it is a bonafide classic. Yeah, um, and also, that's why I know it, because I've seen it enough in terms of just snippets here and there, cosplay, and I've heard the story of, you know, it's Swan Lake. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, it is very, very, very good. Um, I'm, I'm glad that it hasn't been completely forgotten. Um, it was definitely, like, one of the all-time artsy animes uh that people would hold up as like an example of well this is what happens when anime decides to be like an art house piece (laughs) yeah so it's uh it's great to see that it's still beloved still endures uh again you know it's one of the the favorites uh in the cosplay scene especially if you do cosplay masquerade because everyone loves to to get their their number of (laughs) cosplay scenes i have seen from princess tutu is sizable given the number of 
masquerades I've seen. Yeah. Um, and, and it's also like actually a great uh, jump off point to our main topic of the week, because one of the things that has endured about Princess Tutu has been the style um, of, of the character designs and their outfits. Um, again, being being based off of uh, traditional ballet, uh, the ballet outfits have been very, very fun for people to do their their own interpretations of. It's, again, what draws a lot of people to the, the designs uh, to this show. Um, and it has a very distinctive uh, fashion sense that you can just immediately look at it and tell that, oh, that's Princess Tutu. Even if you've never seen a single episode, it's just one of those things that uh, is so distinctive because of that fashion sense. Yeah, for sure. And I guess that's a good pivot point to really get us started on the main topic for the week of fashion. So you have Princess Tutu, which I suppose in the spectrum of anime fashion is a bit it's pretty straightforward. It's ballet, and while the designs there aren't necessarily exactly what you'll see in real ballet, they're on the more realistic side. They're practical outfits, at least the ones that you see them wearing in the normal ballet scenes. That's not really uh, modified or fantasized much, but a lot of what people associate with anime, in addition to the inherent facial and just, you know, overall build design of the characters is that anime fashion, for lack of a better term, is very extra. It's just... Yes. Very, <laughs> it's audacious. It's crazy that you have ones that push it even farther, like JoJo's, because JoJo's fashion could be another episode of its own, and I feel like we need JoJo's to acknowledge fashion JoJo's fashion. Its own. <laughs> but, you know... Even your regular shonen is still super stylish when it comes to the outfits they're wearing. But one thing I want to sort of start with, because it is such a a trope, really, is the concept of uh, sailor outfits, uniforms, and sailor fuku as a whole, because that's one that I find particularly fascinating because it is based in reality that Japanese middle school and high school uniforms, at least for a good chunk of time were based off of naval uniforms and that's where you got sort of the basis of those IRL school uniforms and that then went on to become the basis of most magical girls because it to a US or western viewer looks like it's a very interesting different stylized thing but when you think about it to someone who's in Japan especially in that time what they're seeing is actually not as fantastic as we see it. They're seeing, oh, this is a slightly more stylized version of what I wear every day. And it's interesting that you're using that as the, the focal point, because one of the things that really uh, helped popularize that idea, uh, you know, Sailor Moon, which, you know, just had uh, one of its films release on, on Netflix uh, just this week. <laughs> yeah, speak of the devil. Uh, you know, it, it it's, again, you know, one of those very iconic looks. Yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here thinking back to, you know, the, the Bare Naked Ladies song, One Week. You know, it has that line calling out Sailor Moon. And that was at a time where, you know, anime was still very much niche. We were not uh, at the, the beginning of the, the tsunami boom proper here in the States. And for, you know, that particular look to really stand out um, really says a lot um, in terms of, you know, how iconic, how distinctive that particular fashion sense was uh, when you frame it in the context that you did. Yeah, and I 
think it's super cool that that look in particular has persisted. And I don't know offhand, you know, what the statistics are of how many schools in Japan still use that style of uniform. From what I can tell, it is less than what it used to be. Um, but it still persists at least to some degree, but I'm really not able to say with any amount of certainty to if it is now niche or outdated or if it's still moderately commonplace. But I think it's cool that at least when the concept originated, that it was very grounded in reality of where it was drawing from. I guess I would say from, from my observation, a lot of students, middle school and high school students still, and I guess elementary school students as well, still do wear uniforms. So definitely that's still a very common feature of, of schools in Japan. Yeah, I, I think uniforms are still a, a pretty prominent thing in Japan. I'm not sure if the style of uniform, though, has changed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking um, it, it would definitely require, you know, having to actually, you know, study the the fashion trends yeah. <laughs> over, over in contemporary Japan. But my understanding from like glimpses of more contemporary uh, live action uh, pop culture from from there is that, you know, the, the uniform is still a standard, but it's a more, you know, westernized, I guess you could say, uh, you know, design for for uniforms, you know, stuff yeah. that you would see at private schools, you know, here in uh, here in the States. That would be yeah, that seems to what be you would see. what I've yeah. seen of, you know, more conventional slacks and shirt for the guys and more conventional skirt and shirt for the girls. Um, not as much really of the... topped off with a jacket. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Depending on season. Um, and then you have the super stylized ones with uh, getting in our Code Geass reference for the week, like Ashford Academy has nope. <laughs> uniforms. And dang, those uniforms are snappy as heck. They really are. Uh, <laughs> cry, cry. Like, uh, the Ashford Academy boys jacket is too cool for school, quite simply. That quite literally. They, <laughs> there, there is no... A school uniform has no right looking that slick. I think the, the clamp style helps. Oh, for sure. The, the, the clamp legs can make any uniform look ten times This more is stylish. very true. This is very true. The noodly legs just... You gotta love them. Yeah. You gotta love it, them. It, it, it's like moving fashion sketches. That that's basically what we're treated to with with clamp designs. Yeah, mm -hmm. and in general, Code Geass just has super fun costume design because you know you have the Knights of the Round, which have these incredibly regal outfits. Uh, there's the white bases, and then each member of the knights has their own secondary color for their outfit. Like Anya's is pink. Gino's was green. Um, Suzaku's was blue, and it, they just look super cool. But then, obviously, you have the iconic look of Zero himself of just that cape, that jacket. We'll count the mask because that is still fashion here. That isn't a hairstyle. He has what basically amounts to, from season two onward, a very, very, very anime looking tuxedo, complete with cravat. It has a cravat pin. This is, it is true. a cravat. It is so good. There's a cravat, yes. <laughs> give me cravat or give me death. Actually, give give me just the cravat. I'd, I'd like to not die, please. <laughs> yes. But yes. You know what I mean? Like it is it, like you said, there there is a, a very uh, unique fashion sense that really just reaches out and grabs you. And that's actually one of the reasons I really enjoyed uh, the season two interpretation of the character a lot more because season one 
it's it's basically just a jumpsuit. <laughs> yes, well, also it's a, in season it's a nifty one jumpsuit, but it yeah, it it doesn't have that uh, that tuxedo like style to it. Um, that's one of the reasons I loved wearing the costume so much. Uh, you know, dur- during my peak Code Geass cosplay days and even yeah. beyond, because God, it literally felt like rocking an anime tuxedo. That's how cool mm-hmm. that design was. Yeah, and in general, just anime tuxedos and anime formal fashion once yes. again as i said earlier is very extra very just audacious i don't even know if that's really the right term here but you know what i mean that it looks super stylized super cool um you obviously have gankutsuo uh being uh why am i blanking on it suddenly Count of Monte Cristo, there we go. Goodness, don't know why I just had that brain fart there, but, you know, that's a very iconic style that we discussed just last week because of its animation, but obviously it's, once again, sort of a combination of Victorian and modern formal styles that you have, um, but just, ugh. I don't know. Do you two have any particular favorites when it comes to series or even just individuals for outfits? Well, I think this is more kind of um, a very general observation. I don't really know how to frame this because uh, it's not a single character, but it's more just the approach to fashion in the show. And this is going back to Sailor Moon again, because, you know, what is very typical in anime is that a character will have their, you know, one outfit that they wear for the entire series, or, you know, maybe they have like their school uniform and then they have like their whatever battle uniform, you know, they have like five pairs of two outfits in their closet sort of Mm -hmm. deal. Um, But in Sailor Moon, so of course, you know, the, the scouts have their school uniforms and they have their various, uh, you know, Sailor Fuku that they casual wear. Right. Well, the, you know, their battle outfits that they transform into, and then they have so many different versions of casual outfits. And, you know, the, you can definitely, uh, the outfits definitely repeat. So you can tell that, you know, these girls don't just have like endless closets, but they also change. You can tell that these are in some way just regular teenagers because they don't wear the same exact thing every day you know they their clothes actually change with the season and it's not you know they just yeah. threw a jacket on top of it so that always really stood out to me as um you know being in a, in a way unique uh, i think among anime i think code gs maybe does this to some extent um the characters yeah, it does it to a, a significantly bit. less extent because a lot of the times when they're not in battle they're at school so they have the uniforms and Mm-hmm. relatively static wardrobes especially in season one when a lot of the action is happening at ashford it gets a bit more diverse when the world opens up in season two but uh i think that sailor moon definitely has code geass beat in terms of casual wear mm-hmm. yeah definitely i i guess code geass for me would fall kind of somewhere in the middle between sailor moon and then a very a very skewed yeah <laughs> uh you know but bunching on the on the left hand side there yeah, yeah, and I think that happens a lot when you have series that are written to just take place at school, that it certainly helps the art department when the writing department throws them the bone of, okay, they're in uniform at all times because they're at school, teehee, and that helps sidestep a lot of things. But uh, 
once you actually get it into, all right, these characters are, inter are interacting outside of school, do you keep them in their uniforms or not? And some series do that, and that's their way of being lazy, but others will be more realistic. Um, one that I've seen pretty recently and that's still airing is Fruits Basket. I didn't watch the original, but in the remake that's been airing, they absolutely have that diverse array of casual wear for when the characters are not at school. Yeah, and I was going to uh, actually address that um, in just a moment, so I'm glad that you already brought that up because that's that's another thing, you know, that as I'm sitting here kind of, you know, combing through some of the, you know, anime uh, aesthetic that I've really gravitated towards uh, over the years and, you know, just what we see in the medium of anime. Um, yeah, it you, you definitely have to believe that uh, for certain shows, especially if they're in their inaugural seasons, you know, things things that they're not sure if they're going to be able to continue on or they only had so much budget to go around. Yeah, you have to make those concessions of we want to keep to a very singular character model so that we don't have to, you know, constantly make all these adjustments that would take time as we're moving forward. But then other shows where you know they have the budget, they will swing for the fences. Uh, Fruits Basket um, certainly uh, would be able to play with that a lot more, you know, than, than say, you know, an, another show that's like completely original and it's just debuting for, for the first time and like nobody knows about it and they only got like a fraction of the budget to work with. So there, there certainly is that uh, concession there. Because, yeah, I'm sitting here and a lot of the, a lot of the shows that have had very distinctive uh, fashion choices have that very uh, clear-cut distinction between uh, the, the casual or school outfit and then, you know, the, the I guess you could say, action suit. <laughs> yeah. Because uh, you're talking about, like, your, your Macrosses, uh, especially Frontier, which definitely leaned into the whole... Uh, not just military vibe, but also the school vibe, because you have the protagonists not just being, you know, PMCs, <laughs> but also still attending an academy. So you can get like the best of both worlds. You have a pop star who's always changing outfits because that is literally her job. Um, and even in, in, in the Gundam meta series, you have a lot of military uniforms as kind of the go to. But then you have the flight suits, which, depending on what series you're looking at, they're either very consistent or a little bit more diverse to show the uh, uniqueness. Um, yeah, I'm even seeing in the the chat here, uh, that thanks for that one, uh, Dancing Red Sox. Um, My Hero Academia, you again have the, you have the trifecta because they definitely have that in the source material, but also the budget to pull this off because they know that people are gonna watch this. School outfits, hero costumes, and casual wear. Um, so there's yeah, it's interesting to see these these kind of consistent threads pun definitely not intended there uh, throughout uh, the 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 fashion aesthetic of these shows and you know what kinds of shows we're talking about um, in not just in terms of prominence but also in terms of you know uh, the 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 content. Yeah, that um like you said, you have your school outfit and then your battle armor whether that be a hero outfit or your military regalia or a plug suit or whatever and then you have the casual so uh, i like that concept there of sort of your trifecta because you do see that a lot um and i hadn't really thought about it from that particular perspective before so that's a really neat concept um and actually one just thing to, to oh, further sorry. compound on that if i may um 
so we were talking briefly about you know the the uptick uh, in overall offerings of anime compared to you know pre twenty ten. I would say it's probably no coincidence that a lot more shows are trying to di diversify the outfit options, you know, even within the con confines of their budgets, because they know that one of the best ways to kind of promote the show is through the fandom, through fans literally wearing their fandom on their sleeve, which is what I love yeah. about cosplay. Or even if it's not necessarily designed to be for fans, that they're pushing the designs to be more diverse and iconic because you need to stand out in the crowd. That too. Um, so there's there's a lot of different, uh, you know, I guess you could say production or business reasons to uh, see this this kind of, you know, di diversifying of outfits. It's not just like, okay, we're going to slap them in this outfit for like the whole 50 episode run because we can't afford this and who the hell is even watching this. Now it's it's also yeah. like, oh, well, people might want to do, you know, art of this thing and it'll spread across social media and people. Yeah, I don't know how many people way. or studios put in that level of thought because a lot of places might just say, all right, we know that fans will do this however we do it. But I do know I want to shout out to Mr. Montium, may he rest in peace, the creator of Ruby, who actually said on the record, he said the sad panels, he tweeted about it multiple times back in the day and he said, Whenever I design my characters, I make sure that the animators give them pockets so the cosplayers have a place to put their phone. He deliberately, whenever he was getting designs in those early seasons of Ruby, made sure it, it didn't necessarily have to be something big and significant, but it was like every outfit has to have pockets. We're giving our cosplayers pockets because I know the cosplayers are going to make one-to-one -one replicas of whatever these designs are. And if we don't give them pockets, they're not going to give themselves pockets. And that's cruel. So let's give our cosplayers pockets. Exactly. That's, that's amazing. Yeah. So, so again, like, you know, especially more contemporary uh, creators are taking these things into account. That is a perfect example of that. So, yeah. Yeah, I don't... <laughs> I haven't actually heard of any other studios or creators putting in that level of deliberate effort with cosplayers in mind but i wouldn't call it unrealistic to speculate that on some level i don't think it informs big decisions of character or costume design but i have to imagine that it's something that studios are at least more peripherally aware of in terms of okay what's going to either catch a cosplayer's eye or what's something that's going to be more iconic and stand out in a crowd uh, and be something that can be adapted and made because that is a very big thing of fandom nowadays. And just along with, you know, the progression of technology and art as a whole that you now have so many more cosplayers out there that it is a hobby and a passion that is more accessible than ever, both due to technology you know, uh, sewing machines are more affordable now than ever. They're more expensive in some ways, but also more affordable. And more people have taken the time to get into the craft that it is also not as niche a thing as it used to be. And that was going to be my my final, uh, I guess, kind of, you know, bullet point to this particular uh, discussion on, uh, you know, how all these things are kind of coming into the design process. Uh, you know, with the fact that more people have been able to get into cosplay, be a part of the cosplay community, there uh, there is a higher uh, 
percentage of people who are coming back into the industry side of things, you know, certainly among our own company of, uh, of, of folks that we hang out with or spend time with uh, at, at conventions, there are a lot of folks who have made that transition into the industry in various positions. So it is not unrealistic to assume that there are, you know, character designers or, you know, uh, production managers or producers themselves who have those roots and would be able to take these things into account who are, you know, putting out the work now. So it's kind of cyclical in that respect. Yeah. And of course, for a lot of shows, and I'm thinking that the, the example that comes to mind immediately is free. Um, but a lot of the shows, you know, rather than having just introducing new outfits for the characters in the show, they'll, you know, they'll have like promotional spreads in magazines where they'll have mm -hmm. characters in different outfits and you know, they'll do them for... Uh, you're fading uh, Tamsin. Make sure no, you're close to your mic. Tamsin. <laughs> oh no! Uh, they'll they'll do the promotional, you know, different promotions based around different themes. Like you know, Alice in Wonderland is a really popular one that always comes up. Yeah, even Code Geass did a Nunnally in Wonderland back in the day. You remember yeah, that one, exactly. Mario? <laughs> yep. And I, actually, I was thinking of the 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 infamous uh, New Type cover, which I that was the one that eluded me i was gonna do that with with my cosplay partner who did suzaku she was gonna murder me for wanting to do those outfits but i was like well if we yeah. gotta <laughs> oh man so yeah it, that's that's a perfect example tamsin because yes the promotional materials are a great way and it, to be fair that that isn't a recent phenomenon that has definitely been going on for years but you definitely see it a lot more now um when you know they they need to kind of expand beyond the confines of the the actual program to be able to get those ideas out into the world yeah oh gosh now i'm so you mentioned earlier mario um that you have idle characters and that got me thinking about just idle anime as a whole because good lord yes. do the costume designers and idle anime like I can't decide if they have it hard or if they have it easy. I don't know. They work very hard regardless because... Character designers probably have anime, a field day. The animators on the other hand. Okay, I think you just hit the nail on the head. There yeah. you go, yeah. Because the character designers, they get to do whatever the heck they want. And to be fair, real-life idol outfits are that level of just crazy, colorful, poppy. They have all these accessories and uh, charms and whatnot that... Even going before the days of Love Live and when anime idols were a thing that just going into Japan's idol culture, that idol outfits have always been some of the most stylizing, even for IRL types of costume and fashion design. So to adapt that then to anime from a character design standpoint is, all right, you can pretty much do whatever the heck you want, that it's... There really is no limit there because, you know, it doesn't need to be super practical for long-term wear. It's for a performance, and you can make it really whatever you want. Um, but then, yeah, like you said, for the animators, you got to feel for them because they're making a new episode a week. I think, uh, actually, the, the example of kind of this divergence of uh, designers versus animators the example that popped into my head is Yuri on Ice because mm. just in thinking about some of the animation sequences and I mean it's just you know rotoscoping an <laughs> animating skating sequences I you know I can sort of understand how animation works but 
I can't begin to wrap my head around animation of skating but the you know something that you notice is that the just the difference between kind of the really meticulously animated sequences where you can literally make out every single you know piece of Swarovski crystal Yuri Plisetsky's outfit versus the ones where you know definitely kind of some course you know there had to be some adjustments had to be made to the design of the outfit in order to make it animatable in in with the resources that they had yeah that that reminds me of an ongoing gag that i now have with uh with laura um whenever we see certain animation sequences that you know very clearly uh were where they threw the budget into like during the entire sequence, like I'll just be like budget, 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 budget. Oh budget, yeah, budget, no. Budget. Even <laughs> Kaylee and I had a thing as far back as like five years ago, where we would be watching something. And it was like, hey, I found the budget, or oh, that's where the yep. budget went. Yep. <laughs> oh man, and it's it's definitely in those sequences that yeah, you can you can see where uh, the animators probably were not very happy with the character designers. <laughs> Uh, but as fans we love it we're grateful to to all the sacrifices and whatnot that were made to make that possible so thank thank you thank you beloved animators who really need to be paid a lot more indeed and i guess one thing that as i said anime fashion is cooler than irl fashion just plain and simple they go so many more interesting places they do things that you might see during a fashion week going down a runway but the thing is when you see it on the runway it looks absurd but for some reason in anime it just looks totally natural and cool and acceptable i don't know where that is part of it is probably to do with the fact that anime fashion is not inherently subject to the laws of physics i take you case in point to lelouch's collar or one of my personal favorite offenders of just ignoring the laws of gravity seto kaiba's jacket I let me also tell you about uh, Sasuke's black outfit, which has no discernible way to get in or out of it. <laughs> so that was fun for my my friend who, you know, made that cosplay for me because we had to figure that one out. I think we ended up compromising by having to put uh, an invisible zipper on the uh, the shoulder, which was similar to what we did for Rock Lee's onesie, which, again, mm -hmm. no discernible way to get in or out. It's just kind of like, how do you put this on? Anime! Like a sock. Joel, just... <laughs> I, I I have to say I I literally have Kaiba's jacket written down in my notes to bring up for discussion yes. today. Yes, <laughs> I because uh, Kaiba's jacket yes. is so cool. It looks so cool, but the, it can't like you see cosplayers, and when you see a cosplayer, you sometimes look at it and say like for some reason it doesn't look necessarily as good and then you realize oh it's because their coat isn't flaring out at a 45 plus degree angle behind them and i've seen a couple of cosplayers who have put in basically what is the mechanical equivalent of a hoop skirt but it's like a quarter and it's just it, it's that framework that allows the fabric to hang off of it such that it is hang out at that angle because fabric doesn't just suspend in midair. Yeah, wires. To, so many wires. <laughs> so many yeah. wires, exactly. Yeah, to Mario's point that sometimes you have to make adjustments in order to allow for physics to work in the same way that it works in anime. I had a friend who cosplayed 
Sedokaiba and had to put wire in the lining of the jacket all around yeah. the seams yep. in yep. order yep. to make it do the 45 degree angle. Yeah. So, and yeah. as someone who isn't into cosplay, is my basic assumption that there the technology here is effectively similar to what you have in a hoop skirt of that type of wiring? I mean, hoop skirts are I, I, I've seen friends put together, you know, hoop skirts uh, or, you know, acquire hoop skirts. It's it's all over the place. Uh, <laughs> that's the short version. Uh, if it's a DIY job, um, the way that you're going to approach something like, for example, uh, the, the, the Kaiba, the Kaiba special, uh, it's going to be very <laughs> different than, you know, building a proper hoop skirt for like a big old Victorian style dress. Yeah, I suppose it, it's not a one to one, but uh, hopefully uh, but in, in a the, not the completely like, inept analogy. Uh, no, no. It, it, again, it's just a different style of approach, but it's there, there is a little bit of overlap um, in terms of, you know, having to use the item to generate the very particular look. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you're not you're not that far off. It's just that it's not a one to one for every single scenario, because yeah. every scenario is different depending on the effect you're trying to go for. Yeah, but like I'm looking at it. We've sent a couple of Lelouch gifts in our chat and. His collar is just standing up super neatly, and I look at that and I say, "Yeah, that can't happen." Yeah, I, I'm still without assistance. Yeah, um, I'm trying to remember exactly what process um, my cosplay partner who made uh, my cape used, but she uh, she put some stuff in there that was supposed to like keep it propped up at an angle uh, at all times. Uh, I'm blanking on it because it's been so long since I had to actually think about that material. But it's um, is it interfacing? It, it, there we go. Thank you. Yeah, it was interfacing. Uh, it, it got interfaced to heck and back <laughs> to mm. make sure that it could pop. And even then we had to still like, you know, put pressure and bend it to make sure that it would have like the proper uh, curvature. Because like when it first got made, it was just like it, it just popped up straight up. <laughs> it did not have any curve. It took time and a lot of, you know, travel in bags and also, you know, just leaving pressure on it to really give it kind of a curvature. And even then, it still wasn't perfect because, you know, real life physics versus uh, anime physics. Yeah, yeah. yeah Any I other think... favorite offenders of uh, anime physics? Oh, uh, yes. For uh, the weekly, not really weekly, but Beyblade, honorary uh, Beyblade reference. Um, so... <laughs> There's a particular in a particular episode in season three. Um, so all of, kind of a lot of the outfits in Beyblade. Nobody needs to wear that many belts and much leather when they're playing spinning tops. Um, oh well, belts. I suppose the primary offender of belts is Kingdom Hearts and Square uh, Enix. Uh, I was gonna say I'm trying so hard not to make any Tetsuya Nomura references. I'm just like, this is not that kind of a. This is not that podcast. This is not. But at Thursday the same time, podcast decode. At the same time, anime has also adopted belt fashion quite a bit, even if not quite to the egregious degree as some games. But yeah, belts. So, so, so belts. Belts is one thing, and belts can, I'm sure, be like a whole episode of itself. Um, the offending piece of clothing in question, though, is um, uh, one worn by character Kai Hiwatari, who wears, he has like this iconic white scarf that he wears that, you know, billows very artistically in the wind wh whenever he's like, you know, wh wherever he is. It doesn't have to be outdoors in the wind. It just, it's always flowing. Um, 
but at one point during a particularly dramatic final battle against um, the protagonist, he takes it off and, you know, casts it aside. And that's meant to be as a signal that he's getting serious with the battle now. Oh, yeah. Just, and he, you know, throwing off the cloak or removing of the jacket. And exactly. you have a super cool pose and you get the sound effect of the cloth being thrown. And then, you know, it's going down. But you see, when he throws the, the scarf, it takes the top off of a nearby rock and then just crashes into the ground, which oh dear. makes absolutely no sense unless you were to believe that he just casually carries, like, I don't know, 20-pound weights in it for That's training. That's Dragon Ball logic there. What are you I was doing? About to say, <laughs> what is, who is this, Rock Lee? Oh, my um, God. So, yeah. Um, and actually, yeah, that's a, that's a great reference to uh, to Rock Lee's uh, one of his first fights where he just takes out those weights from his um, from his uniform. And like, honestly, ah, yes, one of the I most iconic, like we we had a we had an episode about tournament arcs and also just anime fights in general. And obviously the Rock Lee Gara fight is iconic. And one of the most iconic shots is the dropping of the weights. Yeah. And I, I believe, if I recall correctly, we did it, like, within maybe 48 hours of the anniversary of that episode airing. <laughs> so I was like, what are the odds? led to it. That might have been what reminded us of it. Yeah, because it's like, what are the odds? Also, uh, if we want to talk anime fashion, that was that was one of the most iconic set of leg warmers in anime. Oh, yeah. Outside of the 1980s, because, oh, God, mm -hmm. Rock Lee's leg warmers. Rock Lee brought back uh, leg warmers. And my boy. Yeah. <laughs> Love Rockley. Good old I wonder how grass. many times going back to cosplayers and their impact of. I wonder if there was some swimsuit manufacturer around the time of freeze release that got real flippin' confused when they just had a huge influx of orders, or just like, was there a problem in the actual competitive swim scene where maybe for a month or so that it was a bit difficult to find a new swimsuit because. Places were being bought out by weebs. Why are we all out of jammers all of a sudden? Um, so there's this anime, right? <laughs> What's well, the anime? Is, I, <laughs> I assume that they didn't know and that they just thought, all right, maybe there's an uptick in swimming. Maybe more people are getting into it. And, uh, was around you know, summertime. these are the types of weird business things that I think about. Of Did this ever happen? I don't know if it did. I'd like to imagine it did, though. Well, I think around the time that Attack on Titan came out, there might have actually oh, no. been some something. I'm vaguely remembering that, like, shoe sellers remarked that there was, like, an uptick in purchases of knee-high black boots. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Probably came white out of pants. Nowhere. Yeah, and white pants as well. Well, white <laughs> pants are generic enough, and there are enough suppliers of it that you can get white pants from, you know, Nordstrom or yeah. whatever. But it was it was like a very specific but, cut. But black that's, that's boots why it's like are mm. very particular where there's going to be less suppliers that I could believe that someone realized, wait, we're seeing a sales spike here. Uh it's like I, I like I said, I'm a business nerd. These are the things I think about of when has our you know, when has our community caused someone in a boardroom to just be super confused? On the plus side, these days, if that person in the boardroom is either a dyed-in-the-wool anime fan or has kids who are into the anime, they'll, they'll probably pick up on it a lot quicker than they would have even, like, 10 or 15 years ago. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's the good yeah. news. It's like they can pick up on the trends a lot quicker. And then so hopefully would... increase supply. 
Yeah, exactly. They they know what's up. It's like, oh wait, what's what's going on now? It's because of this thing. All right, let's double down. Let's go. Crank it out there. Sell it to those nerds. Yeah. Let's do this. Any other favorite fashions or just more absurdities or even just ones that you say, ooh, I'd totally wear that. I mean, I'm trying not to rehash uh, the uniforms because there are so many good ones. And, you know, the other one that for me is just an all-time classic that I had so much fun wearing, even just for funsies, uh, was the Oran uh, High School Host Club uh, men's uniform. That thing was just... It, that it is just good, style. classy, formal wear. And uh, as as one uh, Tamaki Suo said, dripping with good looks. Yeah. Because um, for me, having gone to private school for basically my entire academic career, I was used to wearing, you know, some form of uniform. It wasn't wasn't like a standardized uniform. It was more of a dress code. But still, it's one of those things where it's like, OK, I'm kind of used to this. You would think I would hate this. But, but because it, it just it's drips such with a style, standard. It's it's in that, you know, lilac, not quite mauve color of the jacket. Because that is a standard uniform. Uh, and, you know, Ivan actually just posted a GIF of it in our mm -hmm. chat. And you look at it and it's totally normal. In anime, actually, this is one of the most standard uniforms you will ever see, with the exception of that, you know, blue-purple shade of the jacket. Because otherwise it's just black pants. You have the mm -hmm. crest on the uh, on the chest which is not uncommon, and a tie. And that's yeah. it. This isn't something fantastic or absurd. And even the color isn't something that you would look at and say, oh, no school would ever wear that. Most schools wouldn't because most schools have uniforms that are more muted colors. Exactly. But when you go back and look at it, and even today, there is no other uniform that I can recall that uses that shade of bluish, purplish, and I think it is, like you said, just very iconic. And I think it's fascinating of how iconic it's become for being so functionally mundane. Yeah, and it, it it's also because it translates so well into real life, and that's the mm -hmm. other yeah, thing about that a might lot be of part of it because fashions. it is so realistic. Yeah, yeah, because uh, some of some of what we already you know mentioned here, especially like if you strip away the theory of a lot more uh, character creators or designers or what have you you know, keeping the fandom in mind, a lot of what, uh, you know, really gravitated a lot of people towards these characters for, for cosplay is just how well a lot of these things translated into real life. A lot of what you would call the, uh, you know, the starter kit costumes. Yeah, just or how easy they are, that that's part of it because it is so standard and it's just, all right, I need a suit pattern. And if I can find some fabric that is approximately this color, then I'm set. Hi, I just need some blue jeans and an overly baggy white shirt. Oh, let me muss up my hair and, you know, go go full my chemical romance with the guy liner. And uh, boom, suddenly I am cosplaying. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yep. stuff, stuff like that um, is, is part of what makes it so interesting when you see these other otherwise fairly mundane looks suddenly just, you know, uh, get get uh, this much love and attention and nostalgia for some people because it translated to a real life scenario in some way shape or form mm -hmm. and the fact that you know that kind of cosplay is also very accessible through kind of closet cosplay variations mm -hmm. i think also plays a huge part yep 
The one and only time I've ever cosplayed is still Giovanni from Pokemon. It was suit, tie, earth badge pin, slicked hair. See? <laughs> so, you know, that's that's the kind of thing that I think makes uh, anime fashion of all varieties really work. And then when you have, you know, some of these more outlandish designs, the ones that uh, end up being very practical to bring into real life, that's that's part of what makes people want to be these characters, what makes them want to interpret them in their own ways. Um, you know, these these designs. Yeah. In in day to day life, it would look absolutely ridiculous. But in the in the patchwork, uh, in I the don't know. Nowadays, like anime. wearing that shade of purple as a jacket, at least I still it still is not something that you would ever see in a actual uniform scenario. But that shade of purple that seeing someone wear that for fashion would be, I think, completely socially acceptable nowadays that you have people wearing, you know, bright orange jackets and especially just as, you know, blazers and sports coats have become more mainstream in that, you know, mid-tier of fashion where it's not formal, it's not casual. I actually think that someone could wear this and if you didn't know Oron, that it would just look like someone being, you know, a little bit fashionable. No, no, cer certainly that is a very valid and plausible thing to wear in real life. I'm talking about like, you know, Captain, <laughs> Captain uh, Grenade ban uh, Bangles. <laughs> oh, oh, yes, <laughs> like, yes. you know what I'm saying? Stuff like that. Okay, maybe, maybe not. But like you, you still see people enjoying it in real life in this, uh, you know, v varied tapestry of other colorful characters. These are the things that, you know. Uh, even if multiple people are doing it, it's still going to stand out in some way, shape or form just because of how unique and distinctive they are. But there are those elements, those appeals to them. Yeah, for sure. Ugh. We need more capes and more big jackets. And I know like there's sort of the negative classic stigma of the otaku wearing a duster. But gosh, uh, I do yes. wish dusters were a little bit more mainstream because I, I think uh, part of it is just that duster manufacturers and suppliers haven't been able to make a good duster because there aren't there isn't a lot of demand. So the current ones that we have out there aren't that great. But yeah. like, oh, man, uh, I was always a big fan of even you if know, it's any, not a duster, like of, a good uh, top coat, I think, yeah. is supremely underrated. Mm hmm. Yeah, because what, what I loved about, um, you know, the the circa circa 2000s, uh, you know, trench coat design for sci fi and fantasy, like it, it gives you the best of both worlds. You get a really stylish looking jacket that also has the flowiness of a cape. There you mm -hmm. go. <laughs> That's, yep. Yeah. So that was the appeal. So I'm, I'm totally with you there. Um, I mean, I, again, I get why it kind of fell out of vogue for, you know, very practical reasons. Uh, but from a character uh, design perspective, yes, more more coats, please, please. Yes. I mean, we even saw Vash the Stampede mentioned in our own chat, and it's yeah, that's a great oh, example. Yeah. Like that was replicated Classic. by manufacturers who specialized in that kind of uh, you know fan uh, fan oriented design. You know, uh, yeah. Even though this is technically video game territory, since there was an anime, I'm going to count this Dante from Devil May Cry. Another great example sure. of, you know, the anime trench coat uh, in its in its perfected form, you know? So, yeah, <laughs> bring or, back, bring back the Hel trenches. Helsing's Alucard also, red yep. trench coat, classic. Mm. Yeah, and that, that one was like a legit duster. Uh, <laughs> you know, it had the, had the flary capelet going on. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, 
uh that that is a classic one of just the double-breasted uh, uh jacket for some reason i remembered there being more belts on that thing i just looked up uh a gif of it actually right now um but yeah definitely a classic look there for Vash the stampede because that bright red once again showing that just a splash of color on an otherwise mundane article of clothing can make all the difference. Mm-hmm. Do fashion designers take uh, take suggestions? Because I feel like we have a list of suggestions we can send to oh, yeah. the next line. Like, honestly, I've kind of been surprised that there have not been more conventional anime fashion shows. So that not cosplay masquerades where half the appeal there is creating the most absurd and over-the-top outfit and then also doing a skit along with it, but just the fact that we have not seen really a fashion show where it's, all right, let's take some of just the most practical designs and, you know, have sort of a runway show of those. Neo Ivan Gaming in our private chat says we haven't even touched the more less clothed variety of characters like from Kill a Kill. Well, that's an entirely other thing. And we have had a fan service episode. Thank you very much. That is true. <laughs> we did cover that there or, you know, cover what we could, you know. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, um, I, I would say this is probably also a, a good point to wrap up since we have come up on our usual hour. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's there is so much we could still dig into in terms yeah, of I want to have. But uh, as, yeah, as I want to have an episode experience. where we talk anime hair. Oh, we want to talk accessories that accessories alone that just between pins, badges, hats, canes, stuff yeah. like that alone. We can fill a full hour on, I'm sure. And honestly, we could probably revisit fashion in some more focused sense. That I think we did a great job today of covering a really wide range of fashion concepts and implementations. But I'm sure there, there are you know niches within this that we can revisit in the future. I I would like to do an exploration sometime in the future of who wore it better, uh, heroes or villains. Oh, villains. Next question. <laughs> yeah, it's obviously villains, but I just I just want us to, you know, take the time to gush over the villains and just they're yeah, much more we, immaculate. We gushed than... about villains only a couple weeks ago, but sure, we can make villain fashion in particular a thing. Villain because, yes, villains and... are better dressed. Villain, villains and anti-heroes. Mm, mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. you know, again, rolling renegade on Fridays. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, before we go, do either of you two have anything that you want to plug? After you, Tamsin. Uh, nothing to plug for me. Um, stay uh, healthy, folks. Please. Please. Please, <laughs> please do. <laughs> it's Mario, it's, it's what a about very you? low bar now. You can you can get like donuts and other goodies if, if you're very good about doing the things to keep you and everyone around you healthy. Just please, please do it. Um, as for me personally... Um, yeah, uh, just uh, just the usual assortment of uh, GalaxyCon. Uh, next week, I'll be talking to uh, members of the Funimation cast of One Piece. Uh, looking forward to a few of the names in particular there because they're folks who I've you know we been able to talk cross. One Piece fashion. 
Oh, that's like oh. <laughs> that is a whole thing right there. <laughs> Shonen oh. Jump fashion. Yeah. Um, gosh. Well, the thing is, not a lot because Shonen fashion can be pretty standard because you have a lot of it is uniforms, and then they'll have their one battle outfit. But one piece fashion, I think, is a particular level of aesthetic. Yeah, uh, I'm seeing seeing in the chat that yeah, no, that's that's a whole episode. Lol. Yeah, <laughs> for real. Um, and then of course uh, Monday. Um, this is going to be an interesting one because normally I am streaming uh, game content on the channel uh, at Monday nights uh, at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time here at Digital Era Entertainment's Twitch channel. But we are going to do a continuation of the thing that uh, you mentioned last week, Joel. Uh, that is the Hollow Live Rumble, uh, which we did over on our pal Taylor's uh, channel, Reaches Beast, who is and, a member oh my gosh, of the it was a riot. radio dramas. Like, yes. If you miss this, even if you don't enjoy VTubers or Hollow Live, even like if you're just into wrestling. I think you'd enjoy this. And frankly, even if you weren't into wrestling, I think that it was just so much fun because the concepts we're working with here, I think we're doing a really good job of talking about the different characters and the ideas at play here that even if you're not into this sort of stuff, that we're writing just over-the-top comedy theater here, and it was a blast. This was one of the most we were really focused and yet it felt like we were off the rails the whole time, but we were on the rails the whole time because that's just how crazy it is inherently. And it was really one of just the most unique and fun streams that I've been on in a while. To quote John Oliver, wrestling is better than everything you like. (laughs) (laughs) And this is proof, you know, just mash it up with, uh, with VTubers and boom, you've, you've already booked half an amazing pay-per-view that I would totally drop 40 bucks to watch. So we're going to be getting to the main event uh, on Monday. So it'll be a better way to spend two out of the three hours of a normal Monday night wrestling show that shall not be named. So, uh, yeah, we'll be continuing that on Monday. Uh, if you want to come hear us book a, a Royal rumble with all your favorite hollow live VTubers who haven't already been in the undercard. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm sure we'll go over the undercard at the top of the episode for anyone who missed it. And actually, um, I'm not sure if it's been finalized, but we might actually be broadcasting that initial episode in the hour preceding it. Yeah, we will be rebroad- uh, rebroadcasting it over here on Digital Era Entertainment's Twitch channel. Uh, so s- come on by around uh, 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, maybe a few minutes before, because I know there was a little spillover. Um, and we'll be rebroadcasting the first hour so you can see the undercard before we get to the main event, the Hollow Live Rumble over here on Digital Era Twitch. Um, yes. And yeah, other than that, uh, not too much else to report for the time being. Um, and yeah, if you are watching us live, Please stick around. We do have our happy hour coming up at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We will once again be doing Among Us uh, with the hide-and-seek variation hosted by Neo Ivan of Neo Ivan Gaming. Um, yeah, anything else uh, from you, Joel, before we, uh, I guess, wrap it much, up? Not too much, I suppose. If you're looking to set your schedule a couple weeks in advance, our next radio drama is going to be on June 26th. It's going to be Treasure Planet, which I ha- actually had not seen until this past weekend and i watched actually what will be our next two radio dramas treasure planet and i'm not going to say the other one because i'm gonna tease it out a bit longer but let's just say it's one that mario is very much looking forward to yes (laughs) and exactly both of them were great that i had never seen treasure planet but now i understand why it has a cult following and 
I am about halfway through the script. I worked on it a fair bit this week. Really looking forward to that one. So again, that is going to be on Saturday, June 26th at our usual broadcast time of 4 p.m. Eastern time. But apart from that, I think we have had a really good show. So stick around if you want to participate in the Murder Time, Murder Time, fun, fun, fun. But otherwise, until next time, stay safe, stay sane, get your Fauci ouchie, and tune in next time on Digital Air Twitch.